You already know it's the Creator Spaces show. You're working on growing on TikTok. You're working on growing on Twitter and you've got a podcast. You do a ton of different things. Yeah. My first question for you, do you consider yourself a creator? Yeah, I do. I started with TikTok just for redistributing content that I was watching on YouTube because I figured that the interviews that were two or three hours long, Elon Musk or Jeff Bezos, and they would get 2000 views. And there's no reason why those videos should just have 2000 views. And over time, I figured that most people don't have a ton of time to go through a two hour or a three hour long interview every single day. And so what I realized was that if I could pick the best from those videos and redistribute it to another platform, I'm saving people a ton of time. In terms of value, it's probably the lowest ladder of value creation, but still I'm saving people time. I started with that and then I jumped onto the ladder of creating my own content with the podcast and the newsletter. So tell me about the podcast and newsletter. In the beginning, when I had the TikTok account, this was March of 2020, I started the TikTok with zero followers and I just started sharing clips. And over time, it has grown to 129K followers. And along the way, I would get a lot of comments about where can I watch the full interviews or do you have a newsletter or a podcast? And I figured maybe I should start a podcast because so many people are asking about it. And when I did start the podcast of interviewing entrepreneurs, I admired all those books I would read. I realized that getting people on a podcast interview is really easy. Like most people would say yes. I've been lucky because we are in this phase where podcasting is so hot right now, especially with Clubhouse and Twitter spaces is that some of the biggest names on Twitter who would not spend five minutes with people like me, they are easily giving one hour of their time just because I have a podcast. And this is true for a lot of podcasters out there. They have realized that it is an unlimited leverage at this point because maybe five years down the line, if you have a podcast, People like Astana or Anthony Palm, they wouldn't be so eager to come upon your show because there will be so many podcasts out there. It will be a thing that's just like social media is like it's in everybody's life. And just because it is growing and it hasn't penetrated the mass market, especially in Asia and countries in Africa, we are in a lucky phase where if you do have a podcast, you can get people on your shows really easily. How do you take the content from your podcast? Because I think this is where a lot of podcasters get lost. Mm. And it's where you started is taking all of the content you create and build with a single episode even and then sharing it. Because you said you started with summarizing podcasts. How do you go about getting all of that out into these consumable bites? Because that seems to be the secret sauce. I'll give you a very specific example. Uh, my biggest guest till now is Ashton Arvid from Lambda School. When I had him on the show, I realized that I will share some of the insights from that particular episode on TikTok or on Twitter. And so the only way you can get great answers is if you ask great questions. And so I had deliberately gone through every single one of his semi-viral tweets and picked out the things that he had said that I knew would get a reaction. For example, he had this particular view about Peloton replacing religion in America. Now, that is a very different thought. And anybody who hears it, you're like, you cannot be neutral to that particular argument. You'll either be a yes or a no. Like, you have to have a reaction to that. And so, when you have those kinds of insights in your episodes, you know that you can post it on any single social media platform. And if you have a decent audience, you will get a reaction out of people. And so, when I'm interviewing all these people and trying to build these amazing answers into the content itself, instead of interviewing people on a general basis and then going back to look out for gems and just making sure that there are gems before I even start interviewing the person.
what else do you create? You've got a podcast, a newsletter that goes with that podcast, a TikTok, a Twitter. What do you consider as your core creations? I think Twitter is something that takes a lot more time along with the podcast. TikTok is really easy for me because I've been doing that for a year now. Like I can start right now and come up with a clip within 30 minutes ready to post on TikTok. But like on TikTok, it's mostly me watching a Euro video and repurposing that for TikTok. But with Twitter, especially if you're doing threads on podcast interviews, they take a really long time. Like a normal thread takes me three or four hours. That is a thread of an hour long podcast episode. You have to go through the interview just to get a general sense of them. Then you are timestamping areas that you can post in the thread. And then you are just formatting that entire thread for Twitter in terms of the word limit. But also what are the good sentences that will click with the audience. And then if you do have a very small following, 90% of the time, nobody watches a thread. So if you have an external goal of this thread should reach 100k impressions, that's really a bad way of doing a thread. Setting an internal goal is really the only way how you can spend so much time and disconnect yourself emotionally from the result. How do you build up your audience now? I guess with any social media platform, you have to understand the nuances of that platform. Like I would not watch one minute clips on YouTube or on the flip side, I would not watch 20 minute clips on TikTok if you break a 20 minute video into 20 parts. Because when we are using all these different social media platforms, even if I'm the same person, I'm in a different mind space when I'm using Twitter. I'm really looking for great threads to read. When I'm jumping to YouTube, I'm looking for maybe an hour-long interview that has really good insights. When I jump on TikTok, I'm looking for shorter clips that could be, say, inspiring, that can be like told within two minutes or something like that. And so on whichever platform you're trying to grow, you have to understand the nuances of that platform and the particular format in which people like information being presented. Especially in the beginning, if you have a very small audience, you cannot set external goals of six months down the line. I have to have 1000 followers because those things really depend on the algorithm, which you cannot control. If I don't have that sort of time strained pressure, (laughs) nothing's going to get done. I'll never be able to grow a podcast or a show to any size. So you're building up your audience everywhere. Where do you consider your core audience? Where do you measure audience that you make money from? Twitter. If I had to do it all over again and go back to March of 2020, I would not start TikTok at all. I would start with Twitter just because it has so much leverage out there. Like I have 600 followers on Twitter and in the past two weeks, seven people have approached me to help them with consulting on TikTok or write Twitter threads for them. And it's it's 600 followers. Yeah, that's crazy. Just I don't think we've mentioned it to the listeners yet. How many TikTok followers do you have? 129k at this point. And just to make sure I heard that, you said if you could go back a year to March when you started growing your audience online, you would not use TikTok at all and go with Twitter? Yeah. Just because TikTok is built in a certain way, like your followers cannot message you. And so it's really difficult to have a conversation with your followers. Like how much can you talk in comments? It's really difficult. And on Twitter and on Instagram, like random people can DM you, they follow you, you can have a conversation with them. So these platforms make it really easy for you to build a relationship with your audience. Ultimately, that is what you want. This 129k followers, it's just a number if you cannot talk to them. Those are just numerical views out there, maybe some comments, 
but if I don't know you personally, there's no point in you or me following each other, right? There is an incredible leverage out of doing threads and Dickie has now shifted from doing just threads of other people's conversations to pushing out his own ideas out there. And this is the pattern that I've noticed is when I'm doing a lot of threads in the past two months, I'm coming across stuff that might be original ideas of mine that I've not read anywhere. But when you're going through all these cool ideas, you're thinking as well and you start forming your own opinions and your worldview, which is absolutely amazing. Like I did not expect this to happen three months back. I want to dig in a little bit on how you're building your audience now and how it's changed from the beginning. Because you started on TikTok, now you're looking at Twitter, you've got the podcast and the newsletter, and you just finished up the On Deck Podcasting Fellowship. The On Deck Podcasting Fellowship has been really helpful in teaching me how important the research part of interviewing is. Like when I started the podcast, I had this aim of doing one episode every single week. And with a full-time job, what I was doing was I didn't have a lot of time to research people. And I would wonder why my interviews would not come out great with the same guest. And those guests would go on other podcasts. And I love those interviews. And since I've gone through that podcasting fellowship, this particular cohort session taken by David Perel, he was just showing us his Evernote. So whenever he reads something about somebody, he pushes the best parts into his Evernote. And he had this particular Evernote built for Tyler Cohen, and it was 261 pages long. It's actually a book. Like that was amazing. Like when you have that much amount of content on one person, he was like, when I do propose Tyler Cohen to come up on the podcast, like I have so much of notes out here. I can absolutely pull out the best questions and do the best interview just because I have so much content of his. And this is something that I started doing recently after learning this from David is I have this document where I push out everything that I'm reading into that document. So when I do reach out to people, I don't have to worry about how do I ask different questions because I will have so much content out there and so many different types of content out there that I can just read that notion document for once and then just have the best set of questions from that particular document. This is really interesting to me because I'm a podcaster. The kind of research I do I like to keep my research in the middle. I don't necessarily want to know everything about the other person, but I Mm. do want to know what they know about. Okay. And why is that? Because I have a bad habit of when I know too much about a person, I make my questions with a wild number of assumptions built into them. And that makes for a worse interview in my experience. So I've had to find a middle ground where I know enough to have a good conversation, Mm. but I'm not researching so deep that it can only be a series of questions in an interview anymore. Yeah, that is an interesting take on it. Also, because I'm lazy and I want to get a lot done (laughs) because I ran a podcasting agency, so I didn't want to invest a dozen hours per guest interview for my clients. So I came up with other systems, which I don't think it makes the same quality of punch in every interview, but... I think it makes for equally entertaining ones. And that the big divide is there's less to repurpose when you have more of a free-flowing conversation versus a really well-researched interview. The way I see doing few interviews is I see it as a flywheel where every time I read something about David Perel, that goes into my document. But then I also write a thread about it. So David likes it. And maybe if I do say this 10 times in the next five months, there are 10 touch points I have built with him. 
over time, I can also tweet something about it, like maybe retweet something, who knows. But then maybe five months down the line, when I do reach out to him, he knows me from all those threats that I had done for him. Also, I can send him a show notes where I have a very differentiated set of questions, which also tells him that I have done some work in researching about him that increases the likelihood of him saying yes, because I can go to David and say, I will give you an audience just because he has a hundred X more audience than me. So what's my leverage? My leverage could be showing him that this interview is going to be different from all the interviews out there and also showing him I'm really interested in what you do. And it has to be over the long term. Like I can't just wake up today and think about interviewing David seven days down the line, <laughs> definitely get a no. And yeah. so I see this as a very long-term thing where every single time I consume something about someone, I make sure that I'm tweeting about it or DMing them about it, which builds one touch point of relationship with him. And then over time, maybe someday I reach out to them for the podcast interview. I wish I had an assistant who did this for me because this is one of the things I'm horrible at. We actually had processes at my agency where we'd 60 days out from wanting to try to have a guest on a show. We'd start engaging with them on LinkedIn and on Twitter. And then 30 days out, we'd make sure to share some of their content and sign up for email lists. And then 15 <laughs> days out, we'd make sure to tag them in a tweet. And then seven days out, we'd ask them on the show. And then we'd follow up. And then we'd get the invite. So oh, I love that you're doing this because I had to build a process to specifically do this or to have somebody else do it because I am just not good at the follow through or the follow up, I guess, is really where that falls off. It's great that you had a system for that. <laughs> like yeah. I don't have a system. We just do it on a random basis. Like maybe three weeks back, Jason, I had tweeted something about, so he has this podcast this week in startups, one of the most listened podcasts in Silicon Valley. Yeah. And he has 416K followers on Twitter, a huge audience. And so his team was experimenting with Jason Calacanis' website where they're trying to add transcripts of the interviews that he is doing and they were experimenting with a particular format where they would transcribe the interview and then add a few relevant links and Jason basically tweeted that this is what my team is experimenting with I would love to hear your thoughts on it and if you can help in any way and with 416k followers like it had 28 likes and comments from two people most of his tweets get a thousand likes, a hundred retweets or something like that. And in all those tweets, he's always giving information, he's giving you insights on investing, on startups, giving, giving. And there's this one particular tweet where he asks for a feedback and out of so many followers, two people reply. And I saw that tweet and I thought, okay, maybe I could add one more comment to it. And then maybe Jason sees it. Or what I could do is just because it's an open window, it is an opportunity for me to get myself known. I could work really hard and do something different. And so that particular sample was on the interview we had done with the founder of Shopify. I sat through the entire night, transcribed the entire interview, redid the entire transcription in a document with my own links and wrote a note to his team. This is why I'm doing this. And then I tweeted about it. Jason saw it, he looped in his team and then he tweeted about me. Now, maybe six months down the line, if I go to him for an interview, I could say, your clips have a million views on my TikTok. Maybe he remembers me from that and he's retweeted a few of my tweets. And so over time, I can build a relationship with him. And then maybe again, if I reach out to him, maybe he says yes because of it. Like all these big names, when you're reaching out to them, it's more like a probability. And the more you build a relationship with them, the more likely that they will come up on your show. If you spend 10 hours helping them, maybe they are willing to spend one hour with you on the podcast. So it's like, I see this as a very long-term thing. 
how do you go about monetizing now? I'm not thinking about monetization at this point just because the newsletter and the podcast they have a very small audience and so I wouldn't think about monetizing until I have maybe somewhere around 100k downloads and I was talking to Dan no it's in total I was talking to Danny Miranda last week and he has 55000 downloads and he was like I'm taking a part time job so that I can have some money and work full time on that show which really shows how Danny sees his podcast he's not trying to monetize it just right now he has 55000 downloads in the first 6 months which is huge probably take him two or three months to go 100k plus and then he's seeing this as a very long term thing where over time if you have a decent audience you can always monetize but you cannot monetize a small audience and then go back and remove the monetization it's a messed up thing so i'm more focused on building the audience first you can always bring in sponsors if you have a huge number of downloads so this is me putting on my podcast monetization hat for a second i feel like any show that breaks about 1000 2000 downloads an episode is monetizable at a level to cover all of its production costs okay if it's in a b2b technology or business space a show yeah. at that level should be able to build a six figure business around it wow that's why i'm really surprised by what you're telling me because what you're telling me is very much mass market podcasting stuff we're selling mm. ads on shows but once mm. you get into the more niche sponsorship of a creator who is making something with a tightly aligned brand the numbers all change and that's why it's really interesting to me i'm thinking about the way you're set up you've got a big tiktok you're growing a podcast i don't know how much you promote your podcast as a subscription on your tiktok i'm guessing not much yet and i know that you can convert tiktok into newsletter subscribers and i know that newsletter subscribers listen to podcasts Yeah. And when I look at all that and then I think, "Oh, okay, so what would it look like if I went to sell a sponsorship package for this person?" Your TikTok with the podcast, if the podcast sponsor got a TikTok shout out once a week, they'd be picking up another few thousand impressions every time. And suddenly now you can sell a package where, "Okay, yeah, I can guarantee 100,000 impressions over the course of the year." and alongside that i can guarantee this number of downloads and listens for your show and for the shows you sponsor and so then that's where it gets into okay let's get a title sponsorship for the show for 3 months that's going to cost us $6000 that covers all your production costs the summary is essentially that if you went out and said hey potential sponsors of my show this is my show as it currently stands these are the guests mm-hmm. i've had on i've done very little to promote it at this point because i have 120,000 tiktok followers and i know it's going to blow up as soon as i start promoting it this is the number of impressions i can guarantee you you could probably right. get sponsorship for your show right now What's your north star metric for success? To be able to be at a place where I can DM some of the most great thinkers of our time and get to be able to connect to them. The back end of that is the only way you could be able to do that is when you can create great content because these people they respect great content creators and if I can do that then I know that I'll be able to connect with all these people which is why I'm um, like if I had to go back I would start with Twitter because it's not only leverage in terms of the relationships that you build but also when you're creating something for TikTok it's more like you're cropping and adding subtitles in terms of building your skill it's not much of an upgrade but on Twitter when you're 
writing, you're thinking through all the crazy ideas that are changing the world at this point, and you're building your own thoughts, and then you're improvising your writing skills, which is huge. Being able to attract people through written word is an incredible leverage today. If you could send a tweet back to your start, what would it be? When you are consuming content, if I'm reading something for three hours and I'm not taking down notes, it's basically like Netflix for me. I'm just forgetting it. Your mind is a very unreliable thing to rely on for all the information. And so you really need to take notes. And the more notes you take, the better you get at writing. In a nutshell, it would be like when you do consume content, note it down. 